0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you again on this this very important day. People are kind of pointing at children. I guess it's time for you kids to go on out. Bless you as you go out to your ministries. There's not a mass exodus. That's all I'm worried about. This is a really important day, and uh, I'm sure I don't need to remind you, but uh, For some of you may not have picked up that a hundred years ago, today, was the end of the First World War. The war to end all wars. That was kind of wishful thinking, wasn't it? Sadly. We're going to spend a a moment later in the service uh, remembering those who have fallen. But before we do that, we'll come to the Word of God. Let me pray as we do that. Lord God, it's been so good to stand together and to worship you in song, to declare your goodness and your greatness to each other. Lord, now as we quieten ourselves, we intentionally decide to sit under your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to us, Lord, through this really old little letter that we're going to look at today. Lord, may we be open to what you would say to us. May your spirit be working between what I say and what is heard so that we actually hear your word to us. And Lord, give us the courage to make the changes necessary in response to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For a number of years, I've read through... Paul's letter to Philemon and thought to myself I really should do some serious study on this wonderful little book and prepare a message from it. I wanted to understand this letter better and work out firstly why Paul wrote the letter and secondly what does Paul have to say to us today through this ancient text. So that's what I did. I spent some time reading, praying, researching Philemon to try to understand what God would have to say to me from this small little portion of his word. I recorded the message and I put it up online and then, that was some months ago, and then Joel rang me um, some weeks ago and asked me to... um, to, to come and speak today. He had a, a wedding that he wanted to go to and uh, we talked about the series that you guys were going through and we kind of basically came to the conclusion that this would be a, a good message that would fit into that that kind of greater series. And uh, so that's where we are. So, so firstly, we need to understand the situation. We need to understand how Paul came to write this letter and we need to understand something about the character, the characters whose names appear in the letter and form the backbone of the story behind it. Philemon is a, it's a very personal little letter between two individuals. There are letters from Paul which are, are clearly written to a larger group of people. That is not the case here. This is a simple, short letter, just a single page, a mere 335 Greek words from Paul to his good friend Philemon. Now, Paul, it is believed, was in prison in Rome as he wrote this letter. And he wrote to Philemon, who was living in Colossae, which today is found in modern Turkey. Some years earlier, as Paul was travelling through the region, preaching, establishing churches, he met this man, Philemon, and led him to Christ. Philemon then, presumably with Paul, established a church which met in Philemon's home. Paul addresses his letter to Philemon, Appia and Archippus. We can't be absolutely sure, but it would seem that Appiah was Philemon's wife and Archippus was their son. As I said, they are mentioned in Paul's opening words and Paul seems to have enjoyed a, a close relationship with them. You get this sense from the way he refers to them as my sister and my fellow soldier... Now, the other character who we must be very aware of as we read this letter is Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Philemon owned Onesimus, which to our 21st century ears seems outrageous. It seems appalling. It seems disgusting that one person might own another. But we need to be very clear on this and understand that in the 1st century, slaves... And the whole social structure surrounding the ownership and the use of slaves was so kind of embedded, so essential, so normal, that it would have been inconceivable to imagine life without slaves. It would have been like imagining life today without electricity. It would have been like imagining life without cars or computers. In the first century slaves literally made the world go round. So bear that in mind as you listen to Paul's words here. Paul is not endorsing slavery, as some today have argued. In fact, we will discover that Paul is actually appealing for Onesimus's freedom as a brother in Christ. Yet at the same time, he quite understandably acknowledges that slavery is an indispensable part of their world. And that's why he can sound quite accepting of it as a social reality. Interestingly it has been said that Philemon's chief contribution to the teaching of the New Testament has actually been to reshape attitudes regarding slavery and how Christians should treat those who work for them. So Onesimus was a slave in the household of Philemon, Affia, and Archippus and on top of that A whole heap of Christians met regularly in the house, which probably wasn't all that much fun for Onesimus. I can imagine him working, 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 cooking for and cleaning up after this group of people who went on and on and on about their new freedom in Christ while he was anything but free. I can imagine Onesimus standing right there in the midst of this group waiting on them as they talked about inclusiveness and being one in Christ and feeling oh so isolated and excluded. I can well imagine that Christianity and Christians really peeved Onesimus which may be why one day he decided to steal some of Philemon's money and make a run for it. Of course, the most precious thing, the most precious item he stole from Philemon was himself. Slaves weren't cheap. This was a a big deal. One couldn't simply just let their slave run away. The whole system would come crashing down if everyone did that. For Onesimus to have done this, for him to have placed himself in such a perilous position by running away, he must have been very unhappy amongst these Christians and in Philemon's employ. How he ended up in Rome, I can easily understand. A runaway slave's only hope was to find his way quickly to a highly populated, bustling city where he could blend in and avoid detection. Punishment for runaway slaves involved, at the very least torture in many cases it resulted in an execution see nothing would deter other slaves from also running away like having one of their fellow slaves who'd done the bolt crucified in the family courtyard and just left there to rot away on the cross you can imagine the stench of the captured slave filling the house that's what probably was, was facing Onesimus in this situation. That's what the result of running away meant. What Onesimus did in running away, as I said, was a big deal in the first century. It was a life and death situation. And I can fully understand how Onesimus ended up in Rome. What I can't understand is how he came to meet Paul in Rome. Paul was in prison. Somehow Onesimus had come into contact with Paul and they'd formed a friendship. What we do know is that the outcome of this meeting was that Onesimus came to be a Christ follower. Onesimus became a Christian. And that, as it always does, changed everything. Onesimus' world was completely turned upside down. Paul knew that in a legal sense... Onesimus was Philemon's property. Onesimus would never be truly free if he was continually looking over his shoulder, worrying about that day when he would be caught, dragged back to Colossae and probably crucified. Onesimus was Philemon's property. But he also knew that they were now both, Onesimus and his owner, Philemon, they were both brothers in Christ set free from sin and death. So Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon with this little letter that we have. And it seems that Paul wrote three letters. He gave him the letter that we now refer to as Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, and this letter to Philemon. He gave the three letters to a guy by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus and Onesimus travelled back to Colossae together. It involved a long walk, travel by ship, And then a further long walk. So having said all of that, let's open the Word of God to Philemon, verse 1. You'll have it up here on the screen as well. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Clearly that the gospel message brought by Paul to Colossae sometime before had had significant impact. Philemon, a man of means and influence, had responded to the gospel and as a result his life and home were now, as Paul says, a blessing to many. Paul says that he was refreshing the hearts of the saints. Philemon's love for others was a great joy and encouragement to Paul as he sat in prison but He now had a problem. What was he to do now that he had one of Philemon's slaves with him in Rome? I mean, Onesimus was clearly being of help to Paul. He says so. But he was Philemon's slave. If Paul kept Onesimus with him, regardless of what he believed about his new identity in Christ, the fact remained Onesimus was Philemon's property. If Paul kept him in Rome, it would be like today finding your mate's car that had been stolen and just keeping it. You wouldn't do that, would you? That's what this situation was like. I don't really think, though, that Paul's primary concern, however, is is this business of hanging on to him. I'm sure Paul wanted to resolve a far more important issue. I'm sure he wanted to restore... And forge a new kind of relationship between slave owner and slave. Let's read on. This is verse 8. Therefore, says Paul, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. It's helpful, I think, a little side note here to point out that anissimus literally means useful. His name literally means useful. So Paul is probably making a little joke here to Philemon, saying Mr. Useless has now become Mr. Useful. Not just to you, but also to me. And then he says, verse, this is verse 12. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to, have, to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. Do you see Paul's acknowledging that Onesimus is, according to the law of the land, Philemon's property. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. Better than a slave. As a, a dear brother, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man... And a brother in the Lord. I love the way Paul does that. In just a few sentences, he redefines Onesimus's value and standing, doesn't he? He he redefines his identity. He's saying he is not a thing to be owned. He's both a man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, says Paul, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ confidence of your obedience I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask and one more thing prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers Epaphras my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings and so do Mark Aristarchus Demas and Luke my fellow workers the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit there's no doubt that Philemon You think about it, he faced a difficult decision. Could he seriously just forgive Onesimus and welcome him back as a a free man? Undoubtedly Philemon was a man of influence. People would have been watching his reaction to the situation. Everything in his society went against Paul's advice. I'm sure more than one person counselled Philemon, you know, on the local business council that he was probably part of. If everyone did that, the world would just grind to a standstill, Philemon. You can't be serious. If runaway slaves get rewarded with freedom, they'll all want to run away. You have a responsibility to all of us, Philemon, to do your part. To help maintain a good and proper society. There are consequences for our actions. Onesimus must pay the consequences for his actions. It's only just and right. It's the only right thing to do, Philemon. Punish him severely and do it quickly. I don't think crucifixion would be over the top. I don't think that would be too severe a response in this situation. He's been gone for months. Well, Paul, I'm sure, knew all the arguments that Philemon was going to cop. But he simply skirts around them, proclaiming a new order of reality. And this is what we've got to hang on to, isn't it, all the time. There is another kingdom. There is another kingdom, he says, Philemon. There's an alternative. There's an alternative kingdom to the kingdoms of this world, declares Paul. There is another king, another master. King Jesus and we all, you, me, Anisimus, and all of your friends who gather in your house in his name are his servants. Just remember that. We are his slaves. And to him we must give account. You see, the gospel, it isn't simply a message about how people go to heaven when they die. But I think often that is the way it ends up, isn't it? Come forward to the Billy Graham crusade, fill out the form, mate, you're in, you've signed the insurance policy. I hate that. The number of people I've prayed with, led them to Christ, and years later they say, oh, mate, I just wanted you to shut up. I just prayed the prayer so you'd leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like... That's what, the gospel isn't about that. The gospel is fundamentally about the lordship of King Jesus over the real world, where the rubber meets the road day after day, now and then on into eternity. See, it's it's easy for us today to read a little passage of scripture like this, short little letter between two men, written a couple of thousand years ago, and at best respond to it as a quaint reminder of just how far we've come. You know, abolishing slavery, at least officially, and all its accompanying evils, but we must not do that. We must not do that. See, we must see how relevant the teaching of Paul, the teaching of the Word of God is, to our present situation. Many of us, in fact, probably most of us, have people whose station in life and in work could be seen as being below our own. Did you see in the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, by one measure, I think it was on median kind of individual wealth, Australia is now the wealthiest country in the world. Just amazing, isn't it? The, The wealth that we have as individuals. See, employers... Corporate executives, political leaders, parents, teachers, wealthy individuals all have a Christian responsibility to reshape their response to those they lead and direct. You know, yesterday I was at a wedding, and, um, you know, at the, at the dinner afterwards, we, we were sitting at this table, and I had this young man next to me. He's about 22 years of age. His name was Matthew. Matthew has has Down syndrome, and I'd, I'd never met Matthew before. He was just there, and Matthew really struggled to communicate, and and I thought, yeah, no, Matthew's he's he's just. I was watching him. He's just going up and introducing himself to people, and um, I met him about four times, and for him it was completely new. And at one point, his mum said to me, she was sitting at the table, and she said, Oh, poor Matthew is." His mind's a little bit like a sieve. She said, we sometimes wake up in the morning and he doesn't know who we are, his mum and dad. And I'd just been, you know, working on this message and I thought, yeah, this is is what this is kind of about, isn't it? That we can naturally feel superior to somebody else because of certain standards that are there about wealth or power or intelligence. And that is wrong. That's the way the world works, isn't it? That's the way the world works. But that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. That's not how it is. In fact, what does God say? That my heart is with the poor and the unloved you know, the powerless. <laughs> All the time through the scriptures you see that, that God actually, that's where he makes his dwelling. It's almost like, oh, that's where my heart really is with those who are poor. So we need to think, look at this letter and say, gee, how does this apply to me in my situation with the power that I enjoy, that I have been given? And often we can think, oh, I somehow earned this. But if you're honest, if you go back and you go, no, the truth is that I was just randomly born in a country where I had really good nutrition as a child. And that helped things develop well. Oh, and then I went to a pretty good school by world standards and I had a really good education And then I got that job, gee, if I'm really honest, because I knew that bloke at church or my dad knew this guy or whatever. And I had these little links and that got me in there and that got me the the job. And then I went to the bank and because I had these other links, they loaned me this money. Before we know it, we think we've somehow earned our position, which is utter rubbish, Utter rubbish. I think Philemon teaches us to rethink about this. See, Paul appeals to Philemon and to us today to not see ourselves as better than or more important than anyone else. Instead, we must see ourselves as fellow servants, slaves of the one true master, our King, Jesus, and to continue to remember that it is to him that we must give account. I can never read something like this without thinking about what Jesus said about the parable of the talents. You know all that stuff that I've just said—that we've been given—we're like the guy that's given the ten talents. And you read that, you read that story again and again and again. You know, as a, a young man, I was in a drama group. You know that we used to perform it. We had, and I was one of the one of the guys who was given money and. And someone had to bury the money. And it really impacted on me, you know, doing this drama over and over again, that one day we're going to have to give account for what we've been given. And we've all been given so much, haven't we? Scholars believe that the letter to Philemon, the letters to Philemon, the Ephesians and Colossians were all written shortly before his ultimate execution, kind of at the end of his imprisonment. But there is another letter... And it's believed that Paul wrote this letter from prison, the letter to the Philippians. And it's thought that he wrote Philippians toward the start of his imprisonment. And in that letter, Paul's quintessential statement of this truth is found. And I think it would be really helpful for us to finish today, finish our time in Philemon by refreshing ourselves on just what Paul said at the beginning of his imprisonment as he wrote to the Philippians. So this is Philippians 2, 1 to 11. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, You know, some years ago, I went to the war memorial with, um, with my wife and we went into the Gallipoli ex- exhibition that was on there. And I remember looking at these, these images and, and it really struck me that when I went the first time to that exhibition, I think I was about 21 and all I could think about was, how would I have coped on that day? You know, when they're landing on the beach. And it wasn't just Gallipoli. I mean, this, this story was played out so many times, wasn't it? What, what, how would I have coped as a young man landing on a beach where there's just bullets coming everywhere and then being locked down in trenches? What I noticed, though, is when I went back the second time, When you've got sons who are, well, my boys now are 19, the youngest, and the eldest is 27. There's two girls in the middle. What I noticed, though, was the reaction within me the second time around. I thought, how terrible. And to be honest, it was like worse. (laughs) Worse the second time around. And so many of the people who lost so many brothers and sons and uncles and in the war and, and women as well, lots of women died, they lived on. In a sense they didn't get to go to glory, they didn't get to finish like those who died in battle, they had to live on with the grief. And that's a really big deal, isn't it? It really is so let's stand together, we're six minutes late, that's all right, the word of God has taken precedence, let's bow our heads and just we'll take a moment just to remember what was given for us for our freedom.